0: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. Our service this morning will be led by the Senior High School Youth Group, as you've probably already noticed. We are a spiritual communi- community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning and welcome persons of all religions, ethnic and racial origins, sexual orientations, abilities, and other circumstances. We extend a special welcome to visitors this morning. We're glad you're here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every human. In the spirit of that heritage, take a moment to greet each person to your right and left and welcome them here this morning.
1: Please join me in saying the words by which we light our chalice, which are written in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another.
2: 11 by Sandra Cisneros. What they don't understand about birthdays, and what they never tell you, is that when you're 11, you're also 10, and 9, and 8, and 7, and 6, and 5, and 4, and 3, and 2, and 1. And when you wake up on your 11th birthday, you expect to feel 11, but you don't. <laughs> you open your eyes and everything's just like to yesterday, only it's today. And you don't feel 11 at all. You feel like you're still 10, and you are, underneath the year that makes you 11. <laughs> like, some days you might say something stupid, and that's the part of you that's still 10. Or maybe some days you might need to sit on your mama's lap because you're scared, And that's the part of you that's five. And maybe one day when you're all grown up, you'll need to cry like as if you're three. And that's okay. That's what I tell my mama when she's sad and needs to cry. Maybe she's feeling three. Because the way you grow old is kind of like an onion or the rings of a tree or my little wooden dolls that fit one inside the other each year inside the next one. That's how being 11 years old is. You don't feel 11, not right away. It takes a few days, weeks even, sometimes even months before you say 11 when someone asks how old you are. And you don't feel smart 11, not until you're
3: almost 12. That's the way it is. Judaism, Christianity, Paganism, Buddhism, Hinduism, and many others. As Unitarian Universalists of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, we find unity in our mission statement, which we say together. It is in the order of service. It is not on our wall right now. Together we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community.
0: This is a poem called Reaching Nonetheless by myself, Sage Hirschfeld. If I could take every word I've ever written and ask them what this is all about, I think it might sound something like all the pots and pans in my kitchen falling out from every overstuffed cabinet and onto the tile floor in a single moment. It would sound like every great and terrible symphony warm-up, like a cacophony of chaos already ensued. A ruckus of all things sacred in their hardness, colliding, greeting each other, shaking hands with shock waves strong enough to rip through plaster and wood and flesh and bone, to stir something somewhere you never knew was sleeping till you felt it wake up, to punctuate a period with an exclamation point and then another period. But that's not where it would end. It would sound like a collective exhale of everything daring to move. It would sound like doors creaking open throughout the house, like footsteps down narrow hallways drawing near, like my father's voice calling in every shade of compassion. It would sound like hands outstretched in beckoning beyond intrinsic, beyond first thoughts, or old habits, or logic ways. Simply reaching out, without truly knowing what for, but reaching nonetheless.
3: Now is the time where we spend a few moments meditating or paying attention to our breath. Sometimes that happens in silence, and sometimes you hear the joyful sound of our all-age community. Sometimes you can almost feel your breath when you put your hand on your stomach and take a deep tummy breath. we
4: feather and bright as the organ breathes my black shroud frightened by my feelings I only want to be a relief no I'm not a go-getter The demon had a spell on me my black shroud captain of my feelings three, and free to explore, I saw her face on the back of the door, ooh, be my rest, be my fantasy, ooh, be my rest, be my fantasy. Rich to nowhere. I should've wrote a letter explaining what I feel. That empty feeling. Don't back down. Concentrate on seeing the breakers in the bar, the neighbor's greeting. My brother had a daughter. The beauty that she brings illumination. Nothing left, the breakers in the bar, no reason to live, I'm a fool in the fatter, Rosa Merritt's beer, where you can reach me, don't back down, nothing can be changed, cantilever bridge, The drunken sailor, my brother had a daughter. The beauty that she brings Illumination Illumination
2: Hi, I'm Shanti. I am a bridging senior and this is my reflection. My parents first brought me here when I was only four. My mom got a teaching job in our religious education program and later on became the church's kitchen manager. So I've been here a lot. (laughs) I grew up roaming the halls, playing online games on the office computers and making up adventures to tackle in the early mornings when we got here before anyone else. My dad gave me the title church rat for how much time that I've spent here, wandering around barefoot and finding new little hidey holes to explore. And I will admit, I wear this title proudly. It's easy to say how the people here have affected me, but, I mean, absolutely changed my life more like, but this space, this building has changed me too. I've watched this church change and grow just as I have, and I want to take this time to thank it for all that it has shown and taught me. The playground, for instance, used to be a totally different space. I grew up creating stories to act out on the wooden ship, trying to find all the little bits and bobs that the old blue car had to offer, and waiting anxiously to be old enough to enter the fabled big kids' playground. (laughs) The old car and some of the playscape were removed not too long ago, and for a while I resented it. I grew up on that playground. That's my nostalgia you're messing with. But those pieces had to be taken away, because they weren't safe anymore. They were rusty and sharp, and my memories of them might be good, but that doesn't take away their ability to hurt. This is an easy-to-translate, if-sometimes-hard-to-swallow metaphor. Sometimes people or places in our lives are old, rusty cars. We may have had years of fun, be attached, and see all the good that they've done for us, but our soft memories can't soften the sharp edges of metal, and our positive outlook on the situation can't remove its rust. So, thank you, church, for taking away an old thing that I loved. <laughs> you taught me that good memories do not necessarily create a good present moment. You showed me that it's okay to mourn an object or a space, and that it's also okay to move on from it. Having my mom work in this church means that I was very often running around here before or after hours when the building is quiet and still. Seeing a structure made with the express intent of holding lots of people go completely empty over the course of an hour is a bit strange. You might think that it feels sad, a big, lonely building with no little humans around to house and hold, but I think that this old girl takes it in stride. She settles down like a cat, the energy of hundreds of people fades away, and she takes a moment to rest. i found a lot of peace in this empty building. One of my favorite things to do sometimes is to come in here, our gorgeous sanctuary, when it's silent and only the air immediately around you moves. I'll sit in a pew, maybe close to the front or the windows, and I'll just breathe. Can we all take a couple deep breaths in the building together real quick? Feel the energy of her holding you. This building holds no judgment. She loves everyone here so very much. Thank you, church, for housing us while we worship, breathing in time with us and amplifying our energy. We include you in our worship today. Finally, I, of course, have to thank this church for the people that is brought into my life. Many people here have watched me grow from a kindergartner to a whole entire adult. What a wild and wonderful concept that is. (laughs) Thank you Youth Group and thank you Jerry for knocking gently on the door to my little social bubble and offering me a hand. Thank you High School Youth Group for giving me something to look forward to in the murky depths of middle school. (laughs) Thank you OWL class for teaching me what the state of Texas has refused to, for allowing us to be awkward and to giggle and to still learn nonetheless. Thank you, Youth Group, for taking me to rallies and to General Assembly and to all of these amazing experiences that have absolutely changed the course of my life. Thank you, Youth Group, for bringing me friends I can no longer imagine my life without. People who have shown me love beyond what I thought I could ever receive. People who I have given my heart to without fear. Thank you, Church, for bringing these people and these experiences into my life. Thank you for bringing me to this group, these people, this congregation. Thank you so, so much. I will never forget you.
5: My name is Julia Heilrain, and this is my reflection. Children's hospitals aren't like normal hospitals, and any of you who have spent any significant time in one know this to be true. They are places where we care for our youngest and most vulnerable. They are places where the juxtaposition of emotions felt covers a spectrum larger than I ever thought possible. In children's hospitals, the grief that is felt is felt so deeply, so loudly, so intensely, that sometimes it is easy to forget that the joy there is felt just as deeply, just as loudly, and just as intensely. Children's Mercy Hospital of Kansas City, Missouri, the place where I spent a month of the last school year, is no different. From the bubbly decorations, to the fish on the MRI machines, to the graffiti-style cartoon characters that bounce across every wall, it is, in essence, what a children's hospital should be. A place to heal, to mourn, to celebrate, and to reflect. From the branch of the hospital that I spent the most time in, you can see the parking garage. It's an exceptional view. <laughs> this particular parking garage is adorned with an art installation consisting of colorful sheets of glass protruding from the side, casting colorful shadows on the outside wall. In just the right room, standing on just the right section of blue carpeted floor, you can see yourself reflected back to you in those colorful sheets of glass. Sometimes you are blue or red or purple or green. Sometimes you are clearly defined, so much so that you can see the expression on your face. And other times, you melt into the colors, reflections of trees, and noises of cars coming and going. The first time I saw those glass sheets, the girl reflected back to me was anxiously fiddling with her fingers. There were dark circles under her eyes, and although her hair was pulled back into what once might have been a ponytail, it had since morphed into a clump, tangled mat on the side of her head. The girl was sitting in a wheelchair. As I watched the girl in the glass that first day, she watched me back. Together, we hoped and we prayed in our weird, atheist UU way (laughs) that the doctors here would tell us that they could make the pain go away. I left the hospital that day with good news. I was an excellent candidate for the treatment they provided. Months passed before I was able to travel back to Children's. Thank you, American healthcare System. When I did, the girl in the glass was waiting for me, but she had changed. Physical therapists forced the girl to stand, they bent her legs in weird angles, and they took a million different measurements. The dark circles under her eyes had grown, and the tears that streamed down the girl's face as the doctors worked on her felt warm and uncomfortable on my cheek. I turned away from the girl in the glass, and she turned away from me. It was days later when I let myself glance out of the window again, back towards the parking garage, and the reflection glanced back at me. This time, the girl's ponytail still looked like a ponytail, and although the dark circles still remained under her eyes, the tears had stopped falling. She looked stronger, better. She looked less like a patient in a children's hospital and more like the girl I once knew myself to be. I smiled a small smile, and the same small, timid smile was sent back to me. I continued to watch the girl in the glass grow stronger, watch her legs hold her straighter, watch her arms leave the wheels of the chair far behind. I watched as she became more sure of herself on the treadmill and more able to do the things that most 17-year-old girls do every day, like walking. The dark circles under her eyes grew lighter, and the smile on her face grew bigger. And slowly, slowly, after days and weeks of watching her, I started to recognize myself. While my friends stressed over studying for finals back in Austin, I learned methods to control the nervous system disorder and pain that had plagued me for years. And the girl reflected back to me in every color of the rainbow did the same. I walked, then ran, then ran a mile, and the entire time I watched the reflection of myself in the glass. On the hard days, I would check in with the me in the glass, and I would assure her that it was going to be okay. On the good days, I would celebrate with the girl in the glass, and we would carry that success onto the next day. Those seemingly meaningless, colorful pains gave me a way to watch myself change in the best possible way. As silly as it may sound to someone who didn't spend eight hours a day learning to walk, run, use their hands, and think again in those rooms, I am grateful to the glass. I have been home for exactly four months and three weeks. It has been a glorious 145 days. And as I mentally prepare to go back in June for my six-month follow-up, I can't help but wonder what the girl who will be reflected back to me into the hospital will look like this time. Because the thing that the girl in the glass taught me above all else is that being, being it staring at yourself in the mirror, laying on your bed and meditating, or watching yourself reflected back from glass panes from your favorite children's hospital, to reflect on your progress, change, And accomplishments in life, no matter where you are, is how you keep making that progress, how you continue to change and get where you want to go in life. Or as John Dewey so eloquently put it, we do not learn from experience, we learn from reflecting on experience. And I want to add one small thing. While I was in Kansas, I stayed in the Ronald McDonald House, which is an amazing charity and I am so grateful to them, and this church and this congregation were able to donate a large sum of money to help me with my treatment and help my family have a place to stay and come visit me over Thanksgiving because I did not see them for a month with the exception of that. So I am so grateful to y'all, to Jerry, to Jules, to Meg, to my youth group for helping me through that. Thank you.
3: Hi, I'm Ray. I'm bridging today, and this is my homily. There's this story in the Bible where Jesus goes into the garden of Gethsemane, And he kneels down and gives this very agonizing and very human prayer, which is, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel from heaven appears to him and strengthens him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. This is a time I saw Jesus letting himself be doubtful and in pain and, quite frankly, afraid of his future. He ultimately decides that God's will is stronger than his, and he had to lay down that burden as to accept his crucifixion. You see the same theory in so many faiths, where you can't really change some of the hardest things in life you have to go through, and you cannot will it away. It's just going to happen, and the inevitability of it is probably the most daunting thing. I believe that every person has to go through those really hard, humanizing moments, which I call brick wall moments, because they're moments in life that absolutely shatter you and force you to grow into a person that you can live with for the rest of your life. My junior year of high school, my brother committed suicide, and not even a year later, my father passed away after a long history of alcohol abuse and drug addiction. I was 18, and I was fatherless, and I had lost someone to suicide. I was just an 18-year-old girl. The days after I lost my brother, I kept to a corner of my room, refusing to eat food or water, and I just stared into nothingness. I was shocked as to what kind of world I was now living in. The weeks following, I felt like I was outside of myself, just watching this girl. Slowly walk through life with this frazzled look. I was devastated and lost. My identity was ripped away from me, and I was placed into a completely different universe. What I thought I knew seemed to dissipate and slip through the synapses in my brain. I felt like everyone around me was moving so much quicker, and it was impossible for me to reach out and grab onto anything. I was just flying backwards. I grew up in the church, and I saw the Bible and Jesus as a collection of lessons on what to do when no one else could give you any advice because the challenge you were given was not something any human could change, like death. I often wondered if Jesus ever stopped to look at himself in a mirror and asked himself, first off, how many braids could he make out of his beard? And secondly, what on earth was he thinking? <laughs> but he asked himself this, and he asked God this in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he asked God, why it has to be him? Why does he have to bear this pain when he's done everything he was supposed to do? What can he do to get out of this fate? And God gives him the strength and understanding that he was going to be Okay. These are the same questions that were asked when I was looking in the mirror at this tear-stricken, grieving girl who just didn't know what to do anymore to escape this loss. Why did it have to be me? Why am I the one who has to keep living through this? And how do I do this? For the past month and a half, I've been learning about Lent and the core values of the lessons learned throughout this 40-day period. I've learned that Lent is this time where you take this not-so-great great, aspects of your faith and lift it up into the light for you to reflect on it and help strengthen your faith. And in the Catholic faith, you get closer to God. And in the UU Church, you have a topic for each day to reflect on and share a photo of. Things like struggle, vulnerability, courage, dreams, and recovery are amongst these topics. These things aren't always pretty or what you would put up front and center of your identity but are still definitely there. I've found that a lot of people, no matter what your path of spirituality is, find themselves tearing themselves apart, which is the exact opposite of what grace is. I hear my friends in my youth group here say that our lives are precious human lives, and in my Catholic youth group say that God will always love me and that no matter where I go in life, I will always be a beloved daughter of the King Most High. Yet the hardest part of accepting grace is giving myself that. How many of us just mindlessly scroll through Facebook or Instagram and compare ourselves to someone else? Or after spending hours watching other people live their lives, felt like a wasted attempt at success? How many of us get a grade back on a test or feedback from a boss or comment from a loved one, and just make that one thing your entire identity and thought process for the next 48 or something hours. It's self-reflection, but it's also painful self-infliction. I think that's the greatest human flaw. I watched so many amazing people work so incredibly hard and then tear themselves down. But as I started to read more stories in the Bible and read more about all the strongest, empowering role models rising up in the social justice world— I've discovered that no one in the Bible made it in the Bible by just having an easy life. And all of the strongest people I know have been through some really incredible losses and experiences to get where they are. Jesus had knelt onto the ground and sweat blood begging to give up what he felt was a burden, but was actually the thing that made him so incredibly strong. So yes, I may have no idea who I am or where I'm going right now in this world. But I do know that me, along with everyone else in this room and outside this room, is destined for greatness. We go through things to build character, and what you've gone through does not define who you are, but how you choose to get off the floor of the corner of your room and keep going does. Greatness is defined by the ability to persevere through adversity. And perseverance isn't always a beautiful A on a calculus test two weeks after your father died. It's giving yourself the grace to take a day to just cry it all out, even if it's a full-on ugly cry. Questions like, why did I have to be the one who, ch- who was chosen to go through these things is part of self-reflection and building a stronger sense of perseverance through this internalized adversity. You're doing great and just keep going, trying to grow from the things that were given to you and wrap each other with this unstoppable love through grace and growth. Perseverance is giving yourself the grace to love yourself and your precious human
1: life no matter how destroyed life looks. Hi, I'm Abigail, and this is my reflection. In Alice in Wonderland, the caterpillar asks Alice who she is. She responds by saying, I hardly know, sir, just at present. At least I know who I was when I got up this morning, but I think I must have changed several times since then. Reading this, I think about how it rings true for so many people, including myself. I find that reflection is a hard thing to articulate into something universally applicable, but I find comfort in that. In, it, it is the perfect intangible. I enjoy knowing that there is no absolute when it comes to reflection, no right or wrong way to look back on yourself, your life, your relationships, and your experiences. Reflecting upon my childhood is extremely different from reflecting upon my adolescence. Therefore, based on my current knowledge, when faced with the Caterpillar's inquiry of who are you. The best answer I might give is that I don't know anymore, and I don't know yet. So many things have happened in the 18 years since being graced with consciousness that I cannot be sure of who I am or who I'm going to be. However, I do know who I was. I was a kid that used to cut her Barbie's hair thinking it would grow back. (laughs) I believed that rain lilies caused the rain rather than came from it. I always thought the egg came before the chicken, and then I thought the inverse. Um, I spent every day growing up thinking I knew who I was, who I had been, and who I was going to become. But in retrospect, I had no idea how my life would unfold. And to me, that's what reflection is. Retrospect. Some may say that hindsight is 20-20, but it's 50-50 at best. I'm sure that many of us here today believe that the early years of life are the most formative. But based on my own perspective and experience, I have to disagree. Not because I think it's absolutely wrong, with no exceptions, but because I think life is full of formative years. I think I grew the most in high school, right here in this church, out the sanctuary doors, through the gallery, left down the hallway, and in the room behind the last door on your left. Why are you why are you you has been not only a formative experience but a transformative one. As I look back on who I was and what I was doing as a freshman in juxtaposition to where I am now I see a major difference. Looking back I see the stereotypical wide-eyed and bushy-tailed freshman everyone may think of. I see a 14-year-old girl eager to change the world without first realizing that she needs to change herself. Not because she's not enough but because she has the potential to be so much more. Um, I thought that I knew everything about my future. Of course, I had dreams that weren't goals, goals that weren't easy, yet as time passed, I realized I hadn't spared myself enough headspace for deviation. I love facts. I love plans. I love anything solid and finite. However, growing up Unitarian Universalist and upon finally entering the big kid world, right over there, Um, I realized that isn't how anything is ever at all. (laughs) Even in diction, I have a fondness for the definite. But I digress. I had to look back and learn that as admirable as my eagerness was, it didn't have to be everything I was. There are so many things that I have been. A ballerina, short, naive, tall, better, worse, a singer, a volleyball player, reckless, cautious, nervous, excited, a kid, and finally an adult. Turning 18 was really pivotal for me. It helped me realize my own simultaneous significance and insignificance. Understanding the natural coexistence of these two characteristics is something I believe to be incredibly valuable. It allowed me the opportunity to realize that every mistake I make simply doesn't matter at all in the grand scheme of things. I'm sure I messed up more than 800 times a day when I was a kid, and I still mess up all the time. I did this morning but in the spirit of being completely honest, I have no idea what any of those mistakes were. I don't remember because they don't matter. My screw ups are undeniably a part of me and a part of life. They shouldn't be ignored, but I bear no shame when making mistakes. They give me humility and humanity, but again, each individual potentially minute mistake does not matter at all. I believe now is a good time to share with you the underlying point of this whole spiel something which I am very grateful to have learned in my time as a lifelong Unitarian Universalist. It is that despite all my flaws, foils, and follies, I have maintained my inherent worth and dignity, the same inherent worth and dignity which all of you hold. The reflection I partook in to write this led me to that conclusion, my own self-worth. And that's something I haven't truly recognized in a long time, and for that, to Wire Review, I am forever grateful.
6: We gather here to celebrate the lives before us and what is to come for the youth in our congregation. Today, we honor three people as they move from being a youth into becoming young adults. Unitarian Universalist honors. Milestones like these to celebrate as a community and witness each other's growth and development in mind, body and spirits. I would like to invite Shanti Cornell, Ray Milestead Milstead, and Abby Lawyer Poyer to come stand next to me. This bridging ceremony is not a farewell, but rather a celebration of these beautiful souls that have developed before our eyes into young adults. This is an opportunity for us to recognize these youth, to bow to their successes thus far, to acknowledge them for all that they are and bring to this world, and to surround them in love as they move towards what is yet to come. It is an opportunity to make sure that they know that no matter where they go, f- far from here or next door, there, this will always be a place where they can call home and a place where they belong.
1: All right. If you will please join me in saying the words by which we extinguish our chalice. Those are in your order of service. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. We bless
3: this space in each other for our intention for intergenerational community. May this truly be a sanctuary for all ages, where we learn and grow together, young and old alike. May we worship together, laughing, singing, and sharing as one community. May we make room for one another, for the youngest infant cooing in a parent's arms for the youth leading the cry for justice, and for the elder boldly proclaiming our Unitarian Universalist principles. May we support each other across the generations, respecting and appreciating both our struggles and our passions.
0: This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.